so many people go to work and feel productive and feel like they've done good, but they haven't actually created anything new. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute and rate us. And don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. My resource freebie this month is the COVID-19 Asset Protection Guide. This includes several of the best practice steps that I myself am implementing at my apartment communities, as well as other syndicators I've spoken with. You can find this guide and practical steps to implement immediately at www.ellieperlman.com resources. All right, so... Let's get started. Today, I am hosting Pat Hyben. So Pat is a real estate agent with over 27 years of experience. And, you know, he owned five companies in addition to his own brokerage firm with Remax and Keller Williams. He has sold over 4,000 homes worth of over a billion dollars. And his book is called Sex Steps to Seven Figures, A Real Estate Professional's Guide to Building Wealth and Creating Your Own Destiny. So this book reached the top 10 on the New York Times bestsellers list. And in his book, he outlines the exact process he follows to earn more by working less. Pat is also an avid real estate investor, a venture capitalist, and the founder of Rebus University, an online training platform for real estate agents. On average, Pat takes about 153 days off each year to spend with his wife of 18 years and his two daughters. That's a very impressive background and achievements. Welcome to the show, Pat. Thanks, Ali. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me and the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. And things have changed. I mean, it's ever evolving, right? What is happening and what has happened. It's been been a crazy couple of years for me. You know, I closed down my real estate company. I, I let my license expire actually in March, which was one month ago. And now my job is mainly two things. I I'm an asset manager for my own investments, which just means I pay attention to my own money. And the second thing I do is I have a mastermind company called GoBundance and recently wrote another book, a second book called Tribe of Millionaires. And so between those two things, I live in South Carolina with my wife. My kids are grown, but now with the coronavirus, they have come home. 
So now we have a full house again. So it's uh, it's interesting because the house is a lot smaller than it was when they were growing up, but we're all together. So Pat, can you tell us what kind of real estate, what type of real estate do you invest in? If we're kind of starting to talk about the asset part of the show. Okay. So, you know, I started out like everybody buying single family homes. I bought seven houses around the University of Maryland College Park in Maryland. That's where I'm from. I bought a ton in Baltimore City, and those were mainly Section 8 rentals. And then I moved up into, I bought a couple, you know, I think I bought an 18 unit. I bought a, you know, a couple, five, four units, things like that. And then I sold a lot of those, sold a lot of my college rentals, moved them up into multifamilies, probably bought about 12 different apartment complexes, have sold probably seven of those 12. I have a shopping center. I have a church that I have ownership in, which is rented out to like a WeWorks type of deal, offices turned into office space. And that is the circumference there. So I'm probably like, today I'm probably like 30% single family, 30% multifamily, and then another 40% like mixed use. Interesting. So you're pretty much diversified across the board, which is very interesting because, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic right now. And obviously that affects everyone. And it, but it also affects different markets and different asset classes differently. Can you, you know, tell me a little bit about the steps that you've been taking or what you've been doing to protect your investments from the impact of COVID-19? Yeah. Number one, you know, so Warren Buffett says uh, rule number one, if you ever look at his rules that he wrote out, rule number one is don't lose money. No, don't lose money, yeah. Yeah, and rule number two is don't forget rule number one. So if I just look at that, I mean, basically, really, I've been trying to not push the ball down the field, you know, to just only do defense. I'm literally writing in my journal every day, I did not invest in anything today because I just have an addiction to investing. And I'm like, even if I go out and buy some stupid stock that I read online, you know, to scratch an itch, it's, it does bad. So it's like, okay, just stay cash, stay cash, stay cash. And it's very difficult for me, but that is my complete goal right now in, in the month of April is to maintain cash and don't spend anything you know, personally and professionally, but mainly professionally in, in investments. And I just sold two of my houses, two of my single family houses, luckily right before the virus hit, actually in the middle of after the virus hit, I had one house that I sold, one of my college houses, I had to sell three times. It kept falling through because of the virus. Every time it fell through, I lost several thousand dollars because I took less, but I finally was able to get it settled. I'm glad to get that under my belt. I backed out of a deal. I, I was getting into a deal, a 300-unit apartment complex in Philadelphia, and I backed out. You know, again, I was just going with the, you know, the question I kept asking is, is everything worth 20% less than it was a month ago? No, nobody knows because there's no comps to say that, but you have to guess that maybe it is. You know, maybe 20% less tenants are going to pay rent. Maybe... 20% less investors are going to be willing to invest. I just don't know. So since I don't know, I'm just saving cash. 
That's a very smart strategy, I would say. And, you know, you're fortunate to be in that position because a lot of investors right now, they're focusing on just, you know, not losing their assets and not, you know, and paying bills, making the debt payments every month. So the fact that you actually have cash that you can preserve is actually smart because you can use that to protect your other investments in case, you know, one of your tenants comes and says, I just lost my job. I can't pay you rent. And then what do you do? Yeah. And the jury's not out. Everybody I talk to that's a landlord or in real estate is like, you know, just because you made it through the April 1st rent cycle doesn't mean anything. The, the real ones that are really going to be watched is the the May 1st rent and then the June 1st rent. I mean, that, that's what everybody's going to be watching. You know, are the tenants going to pay? Yeah, I totally agree. And I have to say, you know, with our properties, April didn't look as bad as we thought it would, but then we have, like you said, we have to remember we'll have May and June and a lot more people are going to lose their jobs. I think the, you know, the SBA's loans and grants, it's a good concept, but so far very few businesses actually received the cash because the system is so over, you know, overloaded with requests. SBA's website doesn't work. The banks can't really, you know, give the funds to to small businesses, I don't know if within 30 days, those businesses are going to receive the funds and be able to maintain their employees. So I think this month, we're going to see a lot more people being laid off because those who haven't so far, I think that was because a lot of businesses were waiting for the funds from the government. And I think it's going to take a lot longer than we thought. So I think you're absolutely right. It seems like when I'm talking to people, and it shouldn't be this way, but it's not centralized in the fact that it depends on who you bank with. And if you have like a, if you use a small town bank and you have a community banker and you've been there 10 years, you're probably going to get the loan. But if you're at Wells Fargo right. or Bank of America, you're going to get turned down, which isn't fair. I have a friend that owns a, a business, has like 14 employees, and he's been with Bank of America his whole life. Like 30 years he's been with Bank of America. And they're not giving them the money. And I know other guys that, you know, have had small town banks in the middle of Kentucky and have a roofing business with eight employees. And they literally got approved. Uh, one friend of mine got approved within 48 hours for a quarter million dollars. They just said, hey, you know, you're good. You're approved. So it's a really unfair process. And I think what's going to happen is, and this is only the beginning, I think as time goes on, the government's going to be like, holy dirt, you know, we... We ran out of money. We need more. We ran out of money. We need more. And people are going to be crying foul. Hey, it's not fair. That restaurant got it, but I didn't get it. You know, why? And then they're going to threaten, is there a reason why? No, because no one got qualified for these loans anyways. So you really can't say, oh, well, the reason we gave it to him, but not to you <laughs> is because he qualified and you didn't, which the qualification is, is it's basically like, it's like an old fashioned liar's loan, right? That just whatever you put down, they believe. Yeah, there are definitely systemic, you know, issues. The whole process is, let's just say, I hoped it would be a lot more streamlined than it actually was. And I think we're going to see the, the impact. Uh, and you're absolutely right about the big banks versus small banks. My husband, I have a friend, he works for a VC company in Kansas City, and they all were already approved for the small loan because they were forever with this very you know, small bank that happened to be an SBA lender. You know, They received the funds and all the other businesses from Bank of America, I don't know, even one company that was approved. So I think it's just 
it, it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's counting. And Wells here. Fargo's put on their website the yeah, really big not, first thing. Mm -hmm. We don't take any. Yeah, I think they've matched their, their limit because every bank is kind of limited by how much they can lend. They will only reach that limit. Yeah, so all that is to say that I think you're absolutely right. April may not be as hard as we thought, but May and June, we need to be in a lookout for, you know, on the lookout for those months. I want to, you know, kind of shift and talk a little bit about strategy and maybe disconnect a little bit from COVID-19. I know it's a very interesting topic and I can talk about this for forever. But I want to talk about one of your most interesting strategies that you wrote a book about it. So the concept of working less and earning more. You know, you spend a lot of time with your family and you seem to figure out how to live comfortably and not work, you know, long hours. Before we get into the actual process of how you created the system, can you tell us how long it took you to figure out that this strategy is what you wanted to implement? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it probably took me 10 years. I mean, really what happened is I got married and had a, had my first daughter. And then at that point, you know, my wife was came to me and was like, you know, you cannot work all the time because I was working 24 seven, you know, she was like this, you know, life is different now. You know what I mean? It's one thing when we were single or whatever, we made time when when time was due and she was much more flexible. And then at that point I said, you know what, you're right. And then we had our second daughter and that was when, you know, I was like, okay, I got to make a big change. And then I started really thinking about it and started focusing on, you know, how can I work smarter? How can I make more, you know, Basically, I read this book once and it said, and it was talking about craps in, in Las Vegas. And it was saying, if you were in Las Vegas and you were playing craps and all of a sudden you saw a table where everyone was yelling and screaming and every time they rolled the dice, people would win money. But you were at a table where every time you rolled the dice, you crapped out or you lost money. Wouldn't it make sense that you would just go to that table where all the money was being won? I was like, yeah. And so they said, you know, when you figure out what works, double down, triple down, quadruple down on what works, you know, go to that crap stable where all the money's being won. And that's how, you know, the world is, right? Most people don't go towards that. I went to real estate sales because, you know, the commissions were like five, seven, ten thousand $10,000 each house where my friends were selling cars and computers and stuff, making three, four, five hundred a sale. So I was like, I can do the same amount of work, but make 10 times as much. So, and then I think it's the same thing. Real estate, I talked to some people the other day. I was like, yeah, you can do well if you put your money in the stock market and just let it sit there. But you can't ever get, you can get well off, but you'll never be like filthy rich, right? Wealthy, super wealthy. Real estate's another story. You can get really wealthy through real estate. You know, so it's always made more sense for me to buy real estate than to buy stocks. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. You have, you know, real estate, I think is very unique. You have a lot of tools that you don't get when you invest in the stock market. You can't really deduct your expenses, your, you know, and have losses on paper. You can, but to some extent, but it's not as good as leveraging for, you know, real estate where basically the government helps you buy buildings and buy properties. So yeah, I totally agree. That's really interesting. So at that point, when you have your family is expanding, you have new family members and that changes your perspective, then you kind of figured out that 
you want to earn more, but you want to work less. And I got this tattoo then. Oh, okay. So if you're listening to this and not watching the video, there's a tattoo said love is spelled time. Time. And this is crayons. This is kids' crayons. So love is spelled time. And kids don't really care about money and, and your family doesn't really care about the money. That's really us that cares about it. They care about the time we spend with them. So so that's always what's motivated me is to, you know, make money so that I can spend time with my kids and my family, you know. That's great. And I think a lot of our listeners can really relate to it, which kind of brings me to the process part of our conversation. You know, in the book, you lay out the process, how you basically earn more and work less. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Well, yeah, I'd love to. So any business, whatever you're in, has what is called dollar productive activities. And basically what dollar productive activities are, are things that you do that earn you money. So I used to know a real estate agent and she had a big poster on her desk and it said, what did you do today to earn money? And I love that poster because, you know, so many people go to work and feel productive and feel like they've done good, but they haven't actually created anything new. And whether it's in real estate sales or car sales or equipment sales or anything, the way that you sell a lot is you're aggressive and you're constantly reaching out and following up with clients. And so dollar productive activity would be anything that is prospecting in nature or earning money in nature. What did you do today to earn money? So if you're a syndicator, it'd be, you know, are you finding great deals that people wanting to invest in? Did you reach out to 15 brokers today? Did you reach out to 15 people that could potentially put a hundred grand in this deal today? You know, what aggressive things did you do to actually earn money? Not to just, especially in today's society, so much time is spent learning. There's more like learning and learning is great. And I love listening to podcasts and things like that. But I try to do it in my time that I'm going to waste anyways, like when I'm driving, when I'm walking the dogs, things like that is when I'm learning. I try to spend as little time online learning, like reading about this or getting caught down this rabbit hole because, you know, I know me personally, and I've known some other people that have like literally, you know, will spend 10 hours working in a day and six of that will be being coached and reading lessons and watching YouTube videos and all that stuff. And I just think it isn't too much of it. There's an overabundance of it today. And you really can't get sucked into that. You really got to put that off and you really got to be aggressive. You can say, okay, what did I do today to earn money? I didn't earn any money watching YouTube videos, even though I learned how to syndicate or I learned how to formulate a good buy. I didn't earn any money doing that. And I think it's a great tip and a very important part of the process. So once you kind of analyze what are the activities that would earn you money versus all the other distractions. And in today's, you know, reality, there are so many distractions and it's really easy to spread yourself thin. Then after you've kind of analyzed what are the activities or parts of your work that are actually providing you with actual, you know, kind of top dollar returns, 
then what do you do? I mean, you still have so many other things that you're doing that kind of keep distracting you, but you can't just stop doing them. Yeah. It's a consciousness, right? And I, and I guess the way to do it is you need people to keep you accountable, right? In your life to be like, I, you know, I have a peer partner, David Osborne. And basically what we used to do all the time is email each other every day and be like, how many hours did you work dollar productive today? Meaning earning money. And how, how many hours did you work where you were just working? You thought you were working, but God only knows what you created or what you achieved. And so that's just a consciousness level and also having someone in your life that's going to keep you accountable. And that's what a coach is for. A coach can do it too, right? Like, did you do this today or not? You just need someone to kind of whack you all the time. And like, what are you doing? You know, and there's also artificial intelligence that can do it too. You know, they have screen time on iPhones now where you can look at your screen time and say, okay, you shouldn't spend more than two hours a day on screen time. We do it for kids. Why not do it for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious to know, once you discover those steps and you're saying there's a consciousness there that you need to be held accountable by yourself or coach or business partner, what are the tactics that you've been using in your business so you were able to earn more but work less and maybe delegate more of your work to others around you? Mm. Yeah, that's that's another tough part that people have a lot of that struggle with. You know, somebody once said to me, you either have an assistant or you are an assistant. You know, it's kind of like you either clean your toilets or you pay someone to clean your toilets. It's not right or wrong. You just have to decide, right? So, you know, I think that a lot of people that are entrepreneurial are also what we would call control freaks or perfectionists. And some of that comes from worthiness, meaning they don't feel worthy unless they work a certain amount of hours. They don't feel worthy unless they have made themselves tired through work. And a lot of times that doesn't matter because if you haven't done anything, to, back to what we're talking about, if you haven't done anything to earn money, to be productive, then what was the sense other than making yourself feel good? You know, actually what I did is I, I had a, so I had a big job at my real estate company that I had been doing for years and I couldn't give it up, but I knew that I had to give it up to somebody and I knew that there were people that worked for me that are better than me. So what I did is I actually went and saw a shrink. I hired a shrink and I had her walk me through why I am unable to delegate and she basically said to me, she said, she said, you have a self-worth issue in that you only feel worthy if you do that particular job. And if you stop doing that job, you might feel unworthy, but you have to love yourself regardless of what particular tasks or jobs you do. You know, you should be worthy even if you were broke, right? Even if you were living in a tunnel, you need to love yourself like you would, uh, an infant baby who, you know, no matter what, everybody loves a baby who can't love a baby, right? Because a baby hasn't done anything yet to make you judge them one way or the other. And you, you're, she's told me, she said, Pat, you're judging yourself too much. You know, you love yourself like an infant baby. So, so I, I was able to give that job up and it was the best thing I ever did. And I made more money and I had so much more free time. But I think we all need to kind of take ourselves through that therapeutic process. Yeah, I think you're touching on a very, very interesting and very important point. 
especially with entrepreneurs, type A, you know, people, unless they work really hard. And I say they, I'm definitely part of that group. We feel that we haven't done enough. We feel that we haven't, that, you know, it feels like we've wasted the day. It it went to waste and we didn't really capture the day and were essential and provided value. So I think that mind shift is very, very important to understand. It's not really about tiring yourself and working until 11 p.m. or 2 a.m. or, you know, it's not okay if you finish, you know, if you're working until 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. every day and you feel that you feel guilty by, you know, stop working because you know how much work you have. So I think definitely something there needs to change before you do anything. I think you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Well, Pat, you know, I really appreciate your input and sharing your, your thoughts and experience with us. And we have the last five questions, quick questions, the lightning round questions that I'm asking all my guests. And the first one is, what's your favorite hobby? It's so funny that you ask that to entrepreneurs and real estate, you know, investors, because I think a lot of us generally struggle with hobbies. I, You know, I would say my favorite hobby is hiking and walking. You know what I mean? I walk, I walk my dogs constantly. <laughs> and whenever I get an opportunity, I, I walk on the beach, I hike in the woods, you know, I, and you know, if I had to have one thing that I think I would hurt if I did, I wasn't able to do, it would be that. That's awesome. What's the one thing that people don't know about you? Mm. Wow. That's a good one. I would say, you know, I wasn't the the best student. I graduated college with a 2.3 GPA with a degree in sociology. You know, I wasn't like meant to be a real estate person, <laughs> but I don't know what I was meant to be. You know, it wasn't like this massive design in my head. It just kind of, I just kind of flowed with whatever happened, happened. And yeah, you know, just, I guess that's the thing that might surprise some people who think that you know, if you succeed in real estate and succeed at real estate investing, you're a genius or extremely smart. I don't see myself, I see myself as being a very simple person, but you know, the one thing that I do is if some, I follow directions really well. So if someone says, you know, buy a house over by University of Maryland College Park, I buy 10, you know? So, you know, I mean, uh, I guess it's a naivety that has worked for me. Well, that's great. And Pat, what do you wish you had known when you just started as, you know, buying real estate or or working as an agent? Mm. You know, that's a great question. I I do have some regrets in that during the 90s, I, you know, I met a couple of guys during the 90s and their whole thing was that just buy a house a year. And that was a time when really the real estate was not a respected asset class. There was nobody syndicating. There was nobody buying very few people were buying, you know, uh, things like uh, real estate as a class. And there was a couple guys I met that would buy like one house or two houses a year and just sit on them. And I bought my first house in like when I was 23. Then I bought another house when I was 24. And then I think I waited till like eight or nine years before I bought another house. And I really regret that whole decade there where I just didn't buy like two houses a year and just stock up because I I could have gotten them for what now would be like dirt cheap prices and 
I could have gotten good rents and what people would look at now and, and be like, man, those are good returns. Could have got great numbers on them, but I just didn't do it. You know, I tried to play the stock market and got burned. Got it. Yeah, it's hard to have clarity while you're in the moment. So yeah, I definitely share some of uh, those thoughts with my career for sure. And you know, Pat, what's your number one advice to investors who want to scale by implementing your method of working less and earning more? Well, you know, it's difficult to scale when obviously when you're going single family to single family, but I think it's I think it's good for people to do because it really decides whether you're cut out for it or not. You get your head kicked in and you learn a lot of lessons. If you want to go into commercial real estate, it's very difficult to do that without partners, at least at first. And then after that, without multiple partners like syndications and things, it's just very easy to do with syndications and things. And if you could lock in with somebody who has a proven track record, who you trust and you know is mathematically inclined and conservative i think that you can certainly scale your investment that way bear in mind at the same time that's more that's out of your control certainly not as good as cash which today is in your control but here's the thing you know if tenants stop paying rents and we get into a lot of trouble in the next year I'm not saying in the next month because I think that's way too soon, but I'm saying in like 2021, 2022, if you have cash, there's going to be some great opportunities where I think there's going to be less buyers and the numbers are going to drop so that you'll be able to deploy that cash and, and make some money. Got it. Well, thank you, Pat, so much again. If anyone wants to reach out to you and get in touch with you, how can they do that? So, you know, I'm lucky in that as far as I know, I'm the only Pat Hyben, H-I-B-A-N in the world until somebody <laughs> decides to make that name up. You know, so I'm very easy to find on social media and stuff. My new book is Tribe of Millionaires. And what we're doing is we're giving away a free copy of Tribe of Millionaires to anybody that goes to tribeofmillionaires.com. You can go to Amazon and it's $20 on Amazon. But if you go to tribeofmillionaires.com, you get it for free. And all you got to do is pay the shipping. It's seven bucks shipping. It's a great deal. And uh, we've already got like 55 four-star reviews and it's doing really well. So that's tribeofmillionaires.com. And then, of course, my contact information is in, in the book as well. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much again for sharing your knowledge and your experience and I hope you, you enjoyed, you know, being on the show and take care. You know, it's pretty interesting times out there. So yeah, safe. thanks for such great questions. Very thoughtful questions. I enjoyed them. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.